I got green juice, cucumber, celery, apple. If I want a little sweeter, I might use a pineapple. Green juice, all this deliciousness. Hey, fresh cruciferous, got me feeling magnificent. I got green juice, cucumber, celery, apple. If I want a little sweeter, I might use a pineapple. Hi, podcast family. Green this is Dominic juice. with Gardopia Gardens, hey, and you're listening to the Growing Our Future podcast. Today on the show, we're talking about all things aqua and hydroponics. We welcome Gardopia Gardens board member DeFranco Sarabia and special guest Alex Alamon. Alex, tell us about yourself and your interest in hydroponics. My name is Alex Alamon. I am a high school chemistry teacher over at Burbank High School. This is my third year teaching there. Born and raised in San Antonio, I graduated from UTSA. So definitely been here for a while. What I've been doing predominantly with hydroponics specifically was getting the kids out of the classroom, doing something different, not sitting at the desk and doing all the typical like school stuff that we do, just kind of breaking up the day, doing something different, actually like watching the full process of like seed to fruit to product, seeing what it takes to get there, learning various different lessons along the way, trial and error embracing our defeats and then just learning from our triumphs, essentially. Awesome. Awesome. We also have DeFranco Sarabia, who's here with us. DeFranco, do you want to give us a little bit about your background and maybe a little bit about what you've done with aquaponics as well or hydroponics? Hello, everybody. My name is DeFranco Sarabia. I am one of the board members here at Cardopia Gardens. I'm just so passionate about the technology of hydroponics, especially in communities that have food deserts and actual deserts as well. And I believe that hydroponics is an efficient way of growing food. We have some projects growing in the community. We had a couple projects with a coffee shop where we went out and maintained their hydroponics. And now we are slowly but surely growing our technicians so that they could go out there and maintain the vertical farms themselves. But yeah, I just truly believe in hydroponics. Awesome. Being a high school teacher, being education is no easy job. Yeah. Those teachers, I commend them just for the amount of work that they put in. Having been a former educator myself, I taught middle school science and day in and day out, it is a challenge. And so here you are, a third year high school chemistry teacher, You're working with our future leaders. I'm kind of interested how you progressed on that story of coming from high school chemistry teacher and your interest in aquaponics. That just was food always something you were thinking about. How in the world did that even happen? Yeah. So it was, I mean, honestly, it all really started with the pandemic. I was never a plant person or like growing green dirt hydroponic, like anything, I wasn't really ever into that. In came the pandemic. I had like nothing to do with my spare time. The only thing that was open was like local plant shops and whatnot. So then I kind of just like threw myself into that hobby, super obsessed with plants. My house is like full of them. And I was like, this is something really cool. Obviously science related, growing plants and super integrated into that. So it was just kind of a nice fit. I just, I would start bringing like plants from my home collection to school 
talking about is what it, what area of the world it's native to, its type of growing conditions, how that's different to our like local biome, different things like that. And then I didn't know this, but our school got a grant for this giant contraption called a grow wall, which is essentially a hydroponic farm in a box. You just kind of unravel it and you put it on the wall and you plug it in. It's got the ports for different plants. It filters the water down and there's a reservoir at the bottom. Super, super easy to set up and maintain. So one of my colleagues was going out to the farm because we have like an ag program. So we were going out there, we're going to go check it out, just kind of see what it's all about and stuff. And with kind of the package that we got, it was seeds, nutrients, the actual like system itself, all these FAQs, like this isn't working, what do I do? So basically it was the whole thing in a box and we could figure it out and it was super, super simple. So we really started out with that, setting it up, planting like I think the first thing we did was like tomatoes and lettuce or something. And it just kind of exploded from there. I'm kind of thinking I've seen these living walls. Was this one inside of a building where people were walking by or was it outside of the facility? Where was it located? It was located on our farm inside. So yes, it was indoors. We actually had like the perfect area for it was there was already It's like a wet room, like it's made to take on water. The molding on the floor comes up like maybe eight inches so that if it does like flood or something, the water's not going to like mess with the integrity of the building or anything. And there's drains all over the floor. So it was like the perfect room for that. We plugged them in there, turned the lights off, kind of blocked off the windows, put it away from outdoor light. So that took care of bugs and all that nasty stuff that you get from outside. So that really helped a lot. And then, yeah, it was just plug and play from that point, honestly. I've seen these actually when I was at a very (laughs) unique place. It was the Toyota headquarters in Plano, Texas, and they have a living wall, but it's in their cafeteria. And that was really interesting to see. You were just by and having lunch next to this wall that is just cold. And you just see these beautiful plants come out. Art is very beautiful going and having the painting, but I also think of that wall in particular had just plants that were so beautiful and majestic just hanging down. And I thought, man, this is not only art, but here I am in a concrete building, but I'm right next to nature. And then the room just smelled amazing. Like the air was so fresh. It was really nice to see it. I think that's amazing. I, I love the fact that this is your third year teaching and you're, you're hitting it strong with partnering up people who have these existing technologies. How do you think this technology, specifically hydroponics, can help our community? Personally, I think is honestly the future of our like society, especially in the area around Burbank. It's like you, what you were saying earlier, it's like the definition of a food desert. I imagine you're getting this idea and you're in the pandemic and you're trying to teach chemistry and you're probably doing it over Zoom. Am I right at that point? It was somewhat hybrid. So we had maybe 80, 20, 80% hybrid, 20% in person at that point. The students that are coming in, I'm just wondering what was that conversation when you were speaking with your school leadership or trying to get buy-in for the expanded program? What type of things maybe did you have to go through to see that project come to fruition? I didn't really have any. Um, We were, I guess the answer is I, I didn't ask. We just started doing it. We went out there, we got our hands dirty. I, once I had like pictures and I was showing like my department and everybody else, they were like, oh, this is really cool. 
I mean, it's super integrated into the chemistry like curriculum anyway, when you talk about like different elements on the periodic table and the MPK values of different fertilizers that we use. I mean, it's like real world applications. I think maybe another piece of that is that we're an IB campus, which is uh, everything we teach is with like a global mindset. So it, it really lends itself to like long projects out of the box learning not just like straight textbook worksheets type stuff. Nice. So this was like really a, honestly, like the most ideal way I think to learn about something like this. Now we're, we're in the schools and we are telling these kids about the importance of hydroponics and the benefits of its impact on the community. Let's say I wanted to be a vertical farmer right now. Like where do you think those jobs could be? I mean, honestly, anywhere. What's really good about hydroponics is you can literally do it anywhere. The first thing that pops into my head, honestly, is HEB prides itself on being like Texas proud. We buy foods here, locally grown. Very definition of that would be buying it from somebody down the street and buying it all wholesale, popping it in the store. I mean, you're saving not only the store a lot of money, but it's going to be cheaper for everybody else, more nutritious, saving gasoline transportation that it takes to get stuff from across the country to our shelves. I mean, it's simplifying an already insanely complicated supply chain. My big thing is here we are. We understand COVID-19. We understand how that disrupted the food supply chain and just getting easy items like eggs and milk. I know it was a hassle, guys, and I'm sure you guys had a pretty interesting time trying to get those foods. And then here we are, winter storm Yuri comes. We don't think it's going to be this big thing happening here in Texas. And then a few days later, it's like, okay, well, it's here. If I was like a little kid, or if I was a student, you working with these students, what were their reactions when Winter, Story, Winter Storm Yuri came? Did they have any ideas about food production or maybe kind of some insights? That was like one of the big moments of, okay, we thought like these big problems were down the road at some point. Nope, they're here now. This is it. This is like the big bad cloud thing we were talking about. Oh, like if we don't fix it, some bad stuff's going to happen. This is the bad stuff that is happening right now. So that's where I was like, okay, we really need to make sure that we know that the kids understand the entire process of what happened. Initially, when we talked about it, when like we all came back to school, it was called the power went out for a while. That was pretty much their basic understanding of that. They didn't understand that you flick on the light switch, that's an unlimited resource in their brain. It, it takes a lot of explaining of how that power gets there, where it comes from, what resources are expended to get that power, how much that power costs, like all of those minute details that you think are just kind of first nature were not first nature to them at that point. So like we, I had to really go step by step by step of what happened, why it happened, how it could have been way worse. I kind of framed my whole big lesson on like global warming sustainability with that example, because I feel like that a week or a little bit less than a week is probably like so ingrained in their brains of like how much or how crazy that whole situation was. I think even regardless of like who had it better, who had it worse, like that was just like a total shock to everyone. I mean, even when I think about that word, right, sustainability, and it means so many different things to different people. For me, as somebody who I've spent a little bit of time studying it, I keep reflecting back on the triple bottom line, which is how can we have solutions that consider the three pillars of sustainability? It considers equity, it considers the environment, and it considers economics. 
And really here at the Winter Storm, that's where we kind of saw, at least in the food system, not being able to get food to our most needy populations, especially if you were in a marginalized community in San Antonio or in Texas. And then also considering the economic value of some things like energy, when we saw the energy prices that were also spiking as well. From an environmental standpoint, what could have we have done in order to maybe not mitigate, but be better prepared? So really, it makes me think of kind of like resiliency planning when we have these acute shocks and chronic stressors that are coming our way. That's what we got to be teaching our young people, at least informing them, because why did it have to take me all the way till I was in college to find learn about sustainability? And so really, you know, Alex, I'm commending you. That's something that my chemistry teacher didn't even tell me. He was like, sustainability, that's not in our curriculum. But here you are with a different background, bringing in a new perspective for your students. It's quite something to see. In developing lesson plans or curriculum that I know either has to follow the state guidelines, local guidelines, so that the students can be ready for the star. Do you have any advice for another teacher that wants to do the same thing? I found it really, really easy. Only because, so when you speak about star, chemistry specifically is not star tested. So I have a big benefit there because we not, we don't have like that kind of looming deadline over our head. So that's nice. But like you said, there are state mandated things that we do have to cover, but we do, or I at least do find ways to finagle like these really, I think, important lessons that lend themselves to learning the basic chemistry principles. The way I think of it is the quote unquote, like boring stuff, elements, ionic bonds, covalent bonds, all that good stuff we talk about, we cover, we take notes on that, we do labs and stuff like that. And that's like the basic knowledge. That's definitions, recall of information, super basic stuff. But when you get those things and you talk about how element types, right? Specifically MPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. How do I get them to remember that? Oh, those are like the three things in fertilizer. Those three numbers that you see, the 10, 30, or the 15, 30, 15, those are elements um, from the periodic table. We use them in our food, on our grass, on our front lawn. That's what kind of helps plants grow. That's what they need to survive. And that's really where it all connects. I feel like you have to give them those real world examples, those examples you can touch and feel with your hands for that basic knowledge to really stick with them once they go to the next grade and stick with them like for the rest of their lives, honestly. So when I was in high school, I, chemistry was not my favorite subject like whatsoever. I sucked um, at chemistry. I was so bad. I was as well. Yeah, I think I failed one of the six weeks or whatever it was. I wasn't good at it. I can't with, but what was really good about that experience was I was in the same chair that they were in. I had that experience. I wanted to make it better for them. And so I was able to kind of zoom out from where I was before and be like, okay, how can I spin this into something more tangible, something more appealing to their palate? What those students are even thinking when they're going through this. We work with quite a bit of kids, but we work with young kids more so. So the oldest students that we teach here at Gardopia are seventh graders currently. So we don't do a lot of high school programming. It definitely is something that we want to do in the future. But really, we're working with Young Women's Leadership Academy Primary, which are kinder, first, second, and third graders. So these are very young ones. And then we work with a fourth grade class at Young Men's Leadership Academy. And then we work with Democracy Prep at the Stewart Campus, where we work with co-ed seventh graders. And for them, they're still building their knowledge 
they don't have really the, like the higher chemistries where you're like in eighth grade science, finally learn about the periodic table and the synthesis isn't where a high schooler is. So we're definitely teaching a different audience. But the one thing that remains constant is that these kids are always really enjoying it. Even if they are taking a step back and they're like, oh man, that, uh, that's really cool. You know, Mr. Lucky, Mr. Dominguez, like that's, that's really awesome how our plant grew so fast. And now I want to do that at home. Is that kind of same mindset or maybe the students in your high school, do they share any insights like that with you? It's very much the same, maybe just a high school filter on it. They have the very same experience. We grew strawberries starting in July through like last month. And we got to a point where we were constantly getting strawberries all the time. I mean, the reason I did strawberries was because I knew they were going to be insanely good. They were going to be like nothing you've ever had on the planet before. And I was like, once I get some strawberries for the kids, they're going to freak. Like they're going to be like, this is insane. So we get strawberries. I had like moderately sized beaker full of strawberries. I had one, like my little group of kids that I had with me had one and we had some left over and we started just going in the hallway and be like, here, try this, here, try this, here, try this. And once they take the bite, like, you just see their face just like light up. That like experience is what we are trying to teach them to do for themselves. Like we went out there multiple times a week, checked the levels, checked the water, all that stuff. And our reward was that strawberry. And to see the kids like cut it, number one, realize that they can eat that. They're like, sir, can we eat this? Like, is that safe? that you can't get any more safer than that. That's like the, the textbook, super hygienic, super clean, super healthy. It's a, it's a really, really cool experience. And that's why on I said empowering youth with hydroponics is because they have that feeling like, oh, I made this. I created this with your help. And we came out here. I got my hands dirty, getting rid of all these dead plants, throwing them in the compost pile and got algae all over my hands, trying to clean out the little pipes. And that, that work and dedication and time that I put into was my reward. I got this strawberry, which is really cool. It's pretty, pretty powerful. Earlier I spoke about like moments where I realized like this, there was something big here was we had lettuce, our first like batch, we had some lettuce, it was ready to go. I took some shears and we caught off like a couple pieces. Mm -hmm. They ate them and they're like, wow, this is so good. And I was like, yeah, that's like straight lettuce, like super nutritious, really, really good lettuce. And they're like, this, this, this tastes nothing like the lettuce you get at McDonald's. And I was like, oh no, 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 that's not even like real lettuce. Like this is real nutritious, really, really good lettuce. And just to see them like, oh, like this green stuff that I don't really Really like it can actually taste really good and we even got some other kids when we started getting strawberries more regularly and i was we were seeing kids that like aren't in my class like we just see some kids walking around we're like hey try this there was most some of them had never even had a strawberry in their life ever like they just never had them and their first experience was at school grown down the hall or down the road because the farm's a little farther away from like the school actually like itself but down the way away from like their english class which i thought was really really cool for them to have that experience Something that I would really like to ensure that myself here at Cardopia and every everywhere I, I go is how can we sustain that knowledge throughout the generations? I think you made it important to identify that we have to outline that it's a whole package, it's a whole situation, the winter storm, there's different things. And of course, there are certain aspects of sustainability that we should be aware of now. In your opinion, do you think that there are some ways that we can sustain this knowledge moving forward, like either working with changing the curriculum or talking to the district in regards to adding a component? Yeah, actually, there is something like that at SISD right now. I actually participated in, I think, honestly, 
it kind of got pushed to the back burner a little bit with like the challenges of like the current school year because there was more plans to expand it even more but we started like an entry this is like super super surface level but it was like entry level gardening curriculum wind plant things seasonal plants and different things like that like it was like six lessons on what to grow how to grow it when to grow it obviously hydroponics was my thing so I, like i tagged hydroponics in at like the very last lesson like i've slipped in a little a little extra there so they have that that's like locked in that was finished that was geared towards like after school clubs like if somebody wanted to start a gardening club they could get some money from a grant and then they get these little lessons that we made and then there were more plans to expand on those lessons make them deeper, more activities, hands-on stuff to actually integrate into the, the classroom during like the regular school year. I guess to answer your question, it's, it's kind of already happening. And I think honestly, with how school is going currently, those things are not only interesting to have, but are pretty much vital. The school right now is like nothing anyone's ever seen. A lot of people like to say like, oh, we need, we just need to do one, two, three, and that'll fix it. We've never been in this situation before. We're coming out of a pandemic. It was insane for everybody. Nobody has the answer right now. I think we really need to scale back and, and provide like these super enriching, tangible experiences for them to hook onto to make all of these things stick. It was quite an experience, at least for Stephen and I, to go in and be teaching 40 young people on Zoom while we have 10 inside of the classroom at that time. And so I commend all the work that you're doing, especially at Burbank, a garden space as well. Is that something that y'all have on campus currently? We had other teachers have kind of started that because there's like, you can see the boxes and they're like covered in weeds now. But like the idea was there at one point. One really cool thing right now is we're actually in the process of moving into our new building. And I know there's going to be some green space available. Definitely reach out to you guys if I ever need any assistance with that because that would be amazing. On our way out, we always like to ask our guests the little gen that take away about the future, maybe about sustainability or horticulture or anything related. What does that future look like from your perspective? The one thing I would like to just put out there is to just grow something. Sometimes gardening, farming, even just like the houseplant hobby can just seem like such a gargantuan task. Even like having a little herb garden in your kitchen, sometimes that can be intimidating. No one knows where to start, but I think the key is to just start. We just as a society need to get back in touch with that everyone's little green thumb that we have. A very common thing I hear is like, oh, I just don't have a green thumb. I'm, that's just not really my thing. I was never my thing either. I never did that ever in my life before like what a year and a half ago and now i have like so many plants trial and error i mean it's just like anything else learn at it practice it learn from your mistakes embrace your triumphs and in that process will make the world greener and happier in my opinion right on right on well thank you so much again we have board member with cardopia gardens the franco saravia here on the call and our special guest high school chemistry teacher alex alaman Thank you so much again for joining us. So Alex, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they reach out to you to get a little bit of more information? Yeah, my Instagram is at lay underscore plantfessor. So L-E underscore plantfessor. Or you can honestly just look up my name, Alex Alamon. If you ever have questions about how do I grow this? What do I do? All oh, this thing's dead. When should I plant this thing? Please DM me questions, comments, concerns. Always happy to lend a hand whenever it's needed. 
This is the Growing Our Future podcast with Gardopia Gardens. Until next time.